You are listening to Peach Neon Pink Ramblings, the podcast. <laughs> Ramblings of a K drama fanatic with thoughts about Korean dramas, movies, music, and beauty. These are my thoughts about life, pop culture, and other really random things. New episodes mostly every week, mostly on Mondays, sometimes on different days. But follow us on our socials at Peach Neon Pink. There's two N's after neon. For more random, random, random <laughs> ramblings, head on over to my website at www.peachneonpink.com. Again, neon has two N's. Hi everyone! Hello, happy Monday! It is a Monday. <laughs> um, I am so happy to welcome you guys to the sixth episode of Peach Neon Pink Ramblings, the podcast. It is the sixth episode. I can't believe I've actually done this much. I think every episode I'm always just like in awe and like mind blown about like each episode because I never think that I can do another episode of this podcast. I never pre-plan anything and I think this is the first time actually um, last week's episode and this week's episode is like the first time I actually pre-planned what I'm going to talk about. Um, most of the times it really truly is just ramblings, just me just spouting out stuff from my brain. Um, anyways, welcome, 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 welcome to the sixth episode. I am going to talk about Korean dramas again. I know the last podcast episode, I talked a lot about uh, Korean movies. Um, I'm going to try to kind of do a mix of Korean movies and K-dramas um, once in a while in the episodes, I think, just because I think it provides like a good variety. Um, so for this episode, I'm going to talk about a Korean drama called one spring night um i'm gonna talk about that i'm gonna talk on the k-pop section i'm gonna talk of, talk about ugh, i'm gonna talk about a freshly released song um and all actually both of them are like recently dropped songs so i'm gonna talk about um jackson wang's um single that just dropped today literally like an hour ago or something so and a new single from fd island so we're gonna talk about that um and then on k beauty i'm gonna talk about <laughs> no surprise i'm gonna talk about a lip product and i'm also gonna talk about a um setting powder that i recently just bought a couple of days ago so we're gonna talk a little bit about that so definitely stay tuned i look forward to rambling on and hopefully you guys enjoyed the rest of the podcast So we're back and this is the K-drama section of this podcast. Um, so if you're just tuning in, this is Peach and Pink Ramblings, the podcast where I talk about 
Korean dramas, Korean movies, K-pop, K-beauty, and everything in between. I am going to talk today about a Korean drama called One Spring Night. It is starring Han Ji-min and Jung Hae-in. Um, as usual, I'm going to read you guys a little bit of a blurb and a spiel from... This time from Wikipedia, because um, I liked how it read. So. <laughs> uh, so from Wikipedia about One Spring Night, uh, Lee Jong-in is a librarian who has been in a four-year relationship, while Yu Ji-ho is a pharmacist and a single dad. After a chance meeting at Ji-ho's pharmacy, they start seeing love and relationships in a new light. Jung-in meets Ji-ho at the pharmacy when she goes there to remedy her hangover. She tells him she's in a rush and he opens the products and gives them to her before she pays. After drinking, she realizes that she had left her wallet at her friend's place. He tells her to just go and pay him back later, along with giving her money for a taxi. They exchange numbers and after showing her his kindness, she cannot stop thinking about him, even though she has been in a long-term relationship with Kwon Gi-sook. Gisok and Jungin's parents have been pressuring her to get married, even though she is not ready. After meeting Jiho, she feels even more doubtful about marrying Gisok. So um, that was a little spiel. Um, I thought it read really well, so um, <laughs> I really like that summary of the Korean drama. Um, first things first. Um, One spring night, also known as spring night or bom bam. Bom means spring in Korean, I think. I have a very limited, like, knowledge of Korean. Like, my Korean is, like, just learned from Korean dramas. And I know very, just, like, my vocabulary is, like, random words. <laughs> but I know bom means spring. So, um, <laughs> that's our Korean word for the day, I guess. Um, so, this was originally aired on NBC, which is, like, one of, like, the more... It's not a cable... Um, it's like the broadcasting station. It's not a cable um, channel. Um, so on NBC, in back in May till June this year, it was acquired and currently available to watch and stream to your heart's delight on Netflix. Um, as you guys know, Netflix and Vicky are my main sources of Korean drama binge watching, just because it's easy to just like watch Korean dramas there. This is in no way like sponsored or a promotion for either service. I just really like them. But Netflix or Vicky, if you want to sponsor my podcast, hey, contact me. Um, <laughs> um, anyways, um, I wrote a couple of notes while I was watching this Korean drama, mainly because it is very interesting in terms of this is not the kind of Korean drama that I usually watch. I usually watch a lot of more of either um, romantic comedies that are more fast-paced, uh, slightly cutesy, um, the typical Korean drama fare, or like more serious kind of thrillers, uh, suspense, um, kind of like Designated Survivor 60 Days or um, Kill It, like... Uh, a little bit more of a heavier side or watch a lot of historical dramas or seiguks. Um, but this is the a subgenre of Korean dramas that I generally don't watch. Mainly because um, the thing with One Spring Night is that um, I wrote out... It's an introspective look into adult relationships. 
it is if I had to pick two words to describe this Korean drama as a whole, it's it's quiet and very languid. It's um when you while you're watching it, it's it doesn't have anything really that's like super exciting. Um, but in the same respect, like I wouldn't call it like a slice of life because uh, most of I feel like slice of life Korean dramas still have a bit of like high points and low points that are very distinctive in each episode. Like each episode will end on like somewhat of a cliffhanger that will make you tune into the next episode. That is not the case with um, One Spring Night. One Spring Night is like, what makes you want to watch the next episode is that you get heavily invested into the character's journey and the character's um, daily life and how what what they're going through. So in a way that it is kind of a slice of life life type of genre of Korean drama, but also in a way it subverts that and just like turns it over its head by being just very quiet and calming. <laughs> Um, I mean, there's a lot of things that happen in this Korean drama, but none of it is like going to make your heart pound just in anticipation of the next episode being like, oh, my God, I have to like watch the next episode because I want to know what's going to happen. In this case, you're like, I need I really need just for my soul, like I need to watch the next episode because I need to know how this relationship is going to work. Um I was thinking about it in terms of since I had talked about Love Alarm before in this um this podcast. Um if Love Alarm is a look into um the the perils of high school loves and um disruptive technology such as the Love Alarm. Um this actually shout out if 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 you want if you haven't if you're a new listener, definitely check out my uh previous episode i i think it's episode three or episode four i can't even remember at this point but one of those episodes i talk about love alarm um anyways in contrast this korean drama um explores themes themes you would find in mature relationships like a relationship that you would have in your 20s or 30s um it's it's not that fleeting rush a first love that is what you kind of see in Love Alarm. I mean, I, even then, I feel Love Alarm doesn't really just dwell on that. Like, it kind of does for the first half. And on and off kind of goes back and forth to the sections in the future where they're more mature and they're in college. But even then, comparatively, One Spring Night is, like, about people in their mid-20s after college Um settling into adulthood um actually i'm weird they're not in their mid-20s in this drama i think they're in their 30s i think um which um i feel like for me um the reason why i don't watch a lot of these types of korean dramas because it's just it's it's too relatable like i'm i'm a young (laughs) i like to say young um i'm a young asian um adult woman in her 30s i want to say i'm in my early 30s still but people might debate on that i feel like i'm still pretty young um but it's just so relatable to life like the struggle of 
you know you're an adult and you're supposed to be this mature functioning adult but you're not old enough that you have enough life experiences to be a lot wiser like you only have your 20s and your college years are in teen years to kind of like guide you to through decisions of life it's kind of like it's that same feeling you get when you watch one spring night because the characters make mistakes they make very relatable valuable mistakes that you're like yeah that would some that that's a decision or that's a mistake that would happen in my life kind of feeling so in that way uh that's the reason why i normally do not like i said watch korean dramas in this genre because it's just way too relatable it hits too close to home and sometimes when um at least for me when i watch a korean drama i like to be swept away into like a totally different world which is why i usually like to watch um sagux like historical dramas or fantasy or something that's more hard-hitting because it's totally different from my life i'm escaping from the daily mundane things in my life um but that's different with this korean drama because it's it's just so relatable that you're just like um it feels too close to home like i said um the the main thing that one spring night tackles is that there's a lot of questions like what does it mean to be reckless when you are ardently in love is it better to stay in a relationship just because it feels safe from all of your years together um it also really asks what is what is love and what is attraction when you're in your 30s uh how does essentially how does love and attraction plays out when you are in the midst of living your the your the the earlier younger parts of your adult adulthood um like i said it it hit it this is a korean drama that hits too close to home um it's in a way that makes it very compelling and just because of how realistic it is i mean when you meet um jungin she's she she has a stable job she's a librarian she has been in a in a a long-term i mean considerably i think in in korean drama world that it's a it's a long-term relationship she's been with her boyfriend for four years or so or a little bit more than four years she has a group of friends she has uh her sisters that are her core group of support she has her family um like she has her um how does i call it it's like you have your parents and you're at that age that you can openly like defy them but also you don't want to (laughs) i think that's how like jungin's character is it's like she's still pretty much very respectful of her parents and cares and loves them so much but also she's just like please let me live my life i'm an adult i want to make my own decisions and that's partly when you see the conflict in the Korean drama because um, as with any Korean drama parent, mostly in Korean dramas, is that the parents start, they start to pretty much um, pressure Jung-in to get married because she's in her mid-30s and, you know, they're waiting for grandkids and it's like, you guys need to get married. It's very typical of Asian parents, not just Korean parents. So uh, in that way, like I said, very realistic, very relatable. Um, 
And Han Jimin plays this very, very well. Um, I think I had an idea that Han Jimin is a lot older than she is. Um, I don't know why I thought, well, before I started watching this Korean drama, Han Jimin was like in her 40s. Mainly, I think, because she's been a, a, an actress in the Korean drama industry for, for quite a while. Like, I think she's actually been um, an actress, like an active actress for more than 10, 15 years. So I think that's why I had an idea that she might, she was in her 40s, but she's not. She's like in her, in her 30s still. Um, she has uh, the look, I think within cur- the, the current Korean drama actresses, she has a very like pretty, um, like gorgeous look, but... Um, I would say she has like more of an elegant, soft visual. When you look at her, um, she's not like uh that typical goddess look. As if you were thinking of like somebody like Song Hye Kyo, who everybody thinks of like that's the the goddess image of a Korean actress. Um, Han Ji Min is beautiful. She is a very beautiful actress, but also, especially in this Korean drama. She has a bit of a more toned down, plain Jane look. Um, not so much that she's dowdy or anything like that, um, but the way they dressed her and her style, it's like, I think they dressed her down so that she is more relatable. Like she doesn't appear as somebody who's just very beautiful and you wouldn't, like somebody you wouldn't see like in a normal day to day setting. Like very, I think because she's, her character is a librarian. So they couldn't, what I want to say is that she doesn't seem like her character is not a glamorous character. So she's she's toned down. She has a more of a, a plain Jane look, almost close to like a just a regular office worker look, which I appreciate. I mean, I appreciate that they didn't glamour up and make her seem like, oh, my God, look at this, this, this woman who is just so beautiful. Right. Um. She she plays that independent woman character very like who is just settled with her life like I said, um, very convincingly. Um, I don't think at any point in the Korean drama, this Korean drama, that you think that um, she doesn't fit in the role because she does. She steps into the shoes of Jung In so so well and very subtly that you forget that it's Han Jimin and you just just ru- like just think of like i'm just watching this normal like woman uh grown woman in her 30s so uh that's what i really appreciate about hanji min's um acting in this korean drama just because um you never at any point that you think that um she is playing it out of bounds and too excessively um all of her decisions uh her acting decisions is very measured and um very up to the point um there is a there is a a good section of the drama where her character is very wishy-washy and undecisive um at some parts um but because her her acting um is realistically subdued it doesn't get annoying um there's a lot of korean dramas at that point where uh, if it was being played by by a least experienced actress, that you would just be like so annoyed at the character and just be like, 
it will be like a turn turn off for the Korean drama. I've I've watched a lot of Korean dramas that um that uh, I'm just like mm, no, like now you're just really annoying with your indecisiveness, and um it is a character trait that is present in a lot of female um characters the female lead character in the korean drama so it's not something that i don't um don't expect but also this is very refreshing in a way that you because it's han jimin who's playing her jungin doesn't seem like just an annoying woman like it i never felt that way while watching the the drama so that's definitely a good thing like i i really i, I really appreciated it um I'm going to talk a little bit more about Panji Min in a bit. But um, let's talk about Jung Hae-in. Because let, let's talk about Jung Hae-in. Um, <laughs> the, thing, the thing with me, because I've been watching a lot, I, I've had a long, long journey with Korean dramas, as you guys have known, if you've been listening to the previous episodes of this podcast and been listening to my ramblings for a while. Um, funnily enough, I don't know how somebody could listen to an hour of this, but all right, whatever. I really, really love you. How many ever listeners I have out there? Um, but let's talk about Jung Hyun. I because I'm familiar and I've gone through a lot of male leads in a Korean drama. Every um kind of male lead I think I've seen in a drama. Um, so because of that, I've actually have a long roster of Korean drama, act, um, Korean actors that I just hold dear to my heart. I mean, I've talked about it before. I love Lee Dong Wook. I love um, Park Seo Joon. I love, I could name a few of them actually. Um, but I wasn't really familiar with Jung Hae-in. Um, I first kind of got an idea of him when i i talked about this in a previous podcast episode that he was a like a secondary character supporting character in uh in white knights is it white knights white i i always mess up the title of this korean drama white white knights i think or white lights no no no. it's white knights i think the title (laughs) I talked about this drama in a previous episode. I don't know why I keep getting it wrong. And I also was getting it wrong in that episode. But anyways, he was uh, a secondary supporting character in that drama. But he blew me away of how much he did with such a small part. Um, But Jung Hae-in is a relatively newer um, Korean actor. He, I don't think he's been active as long as most of the, the... the actors in his age group is um i think he debuted uh in 2017 i think don't quote me on that i think it was 2017 2016 ish ish so he's relatively new but he um the thing with him he is impressive his acting is i really i really don't know how to describe it in words because um he has just quickly moved from supporting roles to lead roles. Um, I'm not too sure if One Spring Night is his first lead role. It might be. But 
for somebody who hasn't really been active t- that long um, in the Korean drama industry, he is doing extremely, extremely well. Um, if if I compare Jung Hae-in to um, like Song Kang, who is also a relatively newer actor, or Choi Yun-woo, who I talked about, the visual, the face genius, who is an um, rookie historian, Gu Hae-rung, um, who is also a relatively new lead actor. Jung Hae-in's acting is just, when you see him act, it makes you, your jaw drop. Only because the way he acts is measured. It's... Um, like Han Ji-min in this role and, and the role of Jung-in. Um, in general, in this Korean drama, everybody's acting is just on point. Like It's never excessive. It's never too much. It's never extra AF. Um, but with Jung Hae-in, the, from, from all of the stuff that I've seen him in, is that his acting style is just very measured, very subtle. He appears as, even as a young actor, as an actor that has full control of um, his emotions, his expressions, the body language of how he portrays a character. Um, and it's never too much. And it's never lacking, I feel like. Um, I think that's the best way I can describe how um, he acts and his acting skills. Um, like I said in previous pod- previous podcast episodes, I am in no way a professional like acting coach or anybody who's even in the acting industry. So all of my views are just based on experiences from years and years of watching Korean movies and Korean dramas. So um, the the way my um, barometer is for for criticizing or just um, appraising. Uh, an actor's acting style it's just from comparing them from years of experience of watching other actors in other Korean dramas so um Jung Hae-in is just so he just draws you in he has this specific charm which you know in in the Korean entertainment industry they call it meriok like you know um I think I've talked about that before in a previous episode but he has this charm that just literally like swoops you in and brings you into his world um it's never like you can while watching him act it's never like you feel like you're outside an outsider looking in but you feel like somebody who's just walking beside him and just experiencing this journey of whatever life they're trying to portray with him so um i feel like that's what is so amazing with jung hae and i am looking forward so much to future projects with him um i really hope that he really hits it hits it big like and becomes an a-lister i don't think he's at that point yet right now but he's a he he is up there in terms of um getting recognized for his uh for his acting skills pretty much um it doesn't also help that he jung hae has a smile he has a smile that just like makes your heart melt and um he and his eyes are just like intensely intensely expressive i feel like while watching the korean this korean drama while watching 
one spring night, a lot of it hinges on the fact that um, you you need to see the quiet determination, the restrained understanding in um, Jiho, um, who is um, Jung Hae-in's character in this Korean drama, um, because of his situation as a single father. And a lot of it comes out with just um, Jung Hae-in's body language and how he carries himself throughout the Korean drama, always in this, um, like I said, a quiet determination. Like you can see confidence in him as uh, somebody in their 30s, but also that this is a person that the world has weighed down by um, expectations, by um, that he's not necessarily burdened, um, because uh, I feel like the role, the the character as a single father. I mean, he is very loving to his young son, but also that he this is a person that's been um, unfortunately kicked kicked by circumstances of of his world. Like he he has gone through something very painful in his life that has dramatically changed how he is moving forward in his life. Um, he he's no longer. F- just like acting as uh, your typical bachelor character in a Korean drama because he has a son. He has a responsibility. So you see that in a subtle way that Jung Hae-in carries himself as Jiho, the way he walks, the way he interacts with people, especially with Jung In, with Han Jae-min's character and how he approaches um, her. Because instantaneously in that first scene when they first meet in the pharmacy, there is a there is that spark. There is a chemistry. And with great Korean dramas, the meet cute is what sells everything. If you're not if you don't get sold on that first meet cute, then it's very it's an uphill battle kinda um carrying on with the Korean drama and caring about the characters within the Korean drama. So um, even in that first meeting, you can tell that even with the slight look that he gives Jung-in, Ji-ho gives this look while he's handing um, the hangover, the little like hangover medicine bottle to her, that there is an instant, instantaneous attraction. The way his eyes like light up and just like become bigger, just this genuine interest in this stranger this lady that just dropped in but has uh he feels this in this this connection with her so the way he jung hae portrays it is just amazing in a way that you do not need dialogue per se to understand what's going on in between the lines and then instantaneously as a viewer you're like this is the ship that I need to ship for. This is the couple that needs to happen needs to get together whatever circumstances however makjang however um twisted dramatic this drama can become they need to be together because instantaneously you just um you you're able to read between the lines and know that there there is a connection between them and that it's just subtly being played um not within the dialogue but just their interaction their facial interactions Facial interactions, facial expressions, the way uh, Han Jimin just tries to kind of 
brush him off but then afterwards um her character is just like intrigued by this person she met and um but with all which also plays out to the conflict that she has because she's in a very stable long-term relationship and she's like she have she felt that connection that she instantaneously i think i'm gonna say instantaneously because that's what happens in this drama um she right away feels um an attraction a connection like a deep i feel like soul connection with jiho that she's just unable to like ignore um and that's what's beautiful about this um, drama because it explores that that connection between two adult people who you know you want to be in a relationship um let me veer again uh to talk about um uh, jung Hae-in's character yet again i just love him so much jung Hae-in. like i just love him so much as an actor as a you know that's so in control of his craftsmanship but um let's talk about the character yuji ho he is a young single father um who um in college i don't remember the backstory so much but um in college he had a girlfriend who disappears and just suddenly shows up after nine months you know with a child i think that's what the um the backstory was but then left the child with him for him to raise and he it was young in his you know in his early 20s and he's left with this kid and not knowing what to do but he just chooses to take the responsibility and be um a young single father despite the fact that it is not looked upon very well in the society um being a young single father there's a lot of implications in a still very quite conservative society such as south korea there is still that shame and a burden within that's if uh within the asian culture um i think you're they look down upon on uh, being a single father um not as much as being a single mother I think that's even worse. I think like in just in not just in real life, but in terms of Korean dramas, there's a lot of Korean dramas where if they are a single mom, it is such a shame, a shameful thing. Um, it's very similar to what Jiho um, experiences as a single young father, but just in a lesser extent because he is still um, male. He's still a man, so he's not um, as implicated by his society in general by people around him but for the most part it is a dynamic that is explored in this korean drama because um jung yin's long-term boyfriend gisok um actually that's what kind of really irks that character because um when he finds out that jung yin and um jiho falls in love is he is instantaneously offended that uh, Jung-in would choose a young single father um, instead of him, who is a young, successful banker. For him, it's offensive to the point that somehow it's disgusting. He cannot accept it. And his character veers off in this in this way that's just like, I mean, typical of secondary 
male leads in Korean dramas in the early 2000s, I think, that they just kind of go off crazy and does all, does all these like crazy machinations, um, which probably the only, um, criticism I have about One Spring Night is that they could have made Gisak's character a little bit more subtle, uh, but I I guess comparatively to other Korean dramas where there's a similar character like this, he ha- he hasn't really reacted like as crazy as you know I would expect. But he does act kind of a bit just way too crazy and way too makjung for this for this type of drama. That's very for the most part very realistic. Um, but the fact that Jiho is a young single father, which actually. I mean, for me, I think it's, I mean, I wouldn't say personally, I would just like overlook it and it would affect me. But in the K-drama world, I mean, he is essentially pretty successful. He has a, he's a pharmacist. He has a very stable job. He, he has a wonderful son. He has a very supportive, amazingly nice parents, which is hard to find in a Korean drama. <laughs> if you know what I mean, if you, if you watch a few or more than a few Korean dramas like me, you know that it's very rare that you would find a set of um, parents in a Korean drama that are just very supportive and very loving. It's very far in between, and you don't see it very much in Korean dramas. And the ones that you do see it in is just, the dramas are amazing, and they will stay with you for life. Um, but in 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 a sense, actually, Jiho is quite lucky. He has a good set of friends who are supportive to him. His parents are amazing his son is so cute and adorable very uh precocious for his age so um the fact that they play it out as something that is still shameful still something that um is a negative ne- negativity in terms of jiho's um personality as a you know his his persona um is is amazing i think um, I really appreciate a Korean drama that tries to dip its toes into societal issues, but not making it so heavy, which is something that uh, One Spring Night does actually very, very well. Um, it I feel like in that way, it subverts the usual Korean drama cliche. But, you know, what is a Korean drama, Korean drama cliche nowadays? Like, I feel like that's what's amazing about Korean dramas is that as it cycles through themes and like what's trendy in Korean dramas, that it also turns what's usually a cliche over its head and um, does that continuously in a cycle. So I feel like that's what uh, is so amazing about um, being a fan of Korean dramas and watching Korean dramas because it does that continuously like in a cycle uh almost but um i feel like in this in that way this uh korean drama one spring night subverts that the usual cliche there's no noble idiocy like uh no unrealistic high drama um most of the time you know if you know what noble idiocy is in korean dramas is that it's like when um a character just goes like you know, I'm I'm so in love with you, but I'm gonna I'm gonna break off and hurt you and break off the solution for your own good because I wanna sacrifice myself by being a noble idiot. Um and just, you know, because I 
in terms of like, I don't want you to have a strained relationship with your parents or I don't want you to lose your job or whatever circumstance that is hinging on their relationship. One one character, either the female or the male lead, will will do something what is they call the noble idiocy, idiocy that they they're gonna sacrifice themselves nobly as an idiot. So there isn't any of that at all in this Korean drama. Like I said, there's no unrealistic high drama to the terms of its makjang. There, uh, <laughs> like a previous joke that I made in a podcast episode. There's nobody like slapping another person in. There's no slapping at all. I feel like it, maybe once or twice, but there's no like. It's never too much. It's like yeah, you would slap this person, but there's no like you know kimchi slapping. Like I said in a previous <laughs> um, podcast episode, there's none of that. There's no makjang at all. Um, it never reaches to a point that it's too much of a high drama. Um, and I feel like most of the obstacles in their relationship. Um, are more circum circumstantial or cir- circumstances rather than people. I know that for a good latter half of the drama, um, Gisok, who was um, Jung In's long term boyfriend, um, does provide a lot of the obstacles. But um, even though he kind of goes off kind of crazy, um, the obstacles in Jung In and Jiho's relationship from that point on is not really because of a person it's not really because of gisok it's more of the circumstances of what the relationship is um jiho like i said already has the stigma of being a young single father jungin um has develops something that's like a blow to her um to how she appears like to society because she's somebody who is breaking off from a long-term relationship with somebody who is successful and stable so um and to to choose to be in a relationship with a single father just kind of brings her together with the shame that they put upon jiho as a single father so um so they they are essentially viewing jungin as somebody who is um, it it is true in some point in this in the Korean drama that she she cheats on Gisok like that's how people start to see her, and you know that in in the terms of Korean drama land is something that's like you are no longer uh somebody who is you know deemed marriage marriage you know quality. So um, I think. Even though uh, Gisok does a lot of very kind of shady things <laughs> in this drama, it's never because of the character. It's always because of the circumstances. Um, Jungin and Jiho's relationship um, becomes questioned because of uh, Jungin's parents who have a long relationship with Gisok's parents. Um, a lot of Jungin's parents are like, no, don't break off your relationship with Gisok because your relationship hinges on the fact of my career. So, um, there's a lot of that. The circumstances of how to be a filial daughter to your Asian parents, um, and still be able to live your life and defend and fight for who you love. Um... 
it's very plausible. Like I said, the, it's the circumstances that are obstacles in their relationship. And it's not just people. It is situations and circumstances made by people around uh, Jiho and Jungin that makes their, their, the journey in their relationship very plausible. Uh, let me talk a little bit about um, the ending. I kind of, s- sort of, honestly, I kind of sped through like the last three episodes, I believe, of this Korean drama. Not because I didn't enjoy the Korean drama, it's just because a lot of it was just like tying up loose ends and just uh, partly half of it is like cutesy stuff and within the relationship, which it it, it, it kind of needed. It needed a light like uh, section so you don't feel as heavy and bogged down by all of the the obstacles that they they kind of go through. Um, but I love the fact that there's no um, there's no grand wedding in the end. If you've seen um, what's wrong with Secretary Kim, there is this grand, amazing, beautiful uh, wedding in the end that's played for the romance and a little bit of comedy, um, and that's that's how that's how the drama ends. So there's none of that in this this Korean drama. It's a very fitting resolution of their journey. Um, somehow we get left off in the end of this drama in the last episode. Um, somehow having no doubts that in the end, Jiho and Jungin will work out. Like they're they're gonna make it. They are truly soulmates, and they are made for each other. And that that you know destiny brought them together so um it doesn't end with a resolution of like a grand marriage and family life that you see jungin um being a stepmom to jiho's son there's none of that there's a bit of a hint of that in the end um that's kind of cutesy but it's never played for that but also the way they structured the ending is that you never feel that um they're not gonna work out you feel like they're in a good place. Things are going to be okay. And you're as a viewer, you're never left with any regrets or just um, lingering thoughts about, you know, what happened. You're, I, I see it as like my heart felt at ease at this, the the ending. And I'm, I'm happy about the ending knowing that they're going to be happy. They're going to be okay. In the fictional world of Korean dramas that, you know, out there... Jiho and Jungin are living their life to the fullest. Um, they're, you know, still madly in love with each other, sharing this very um, deep, soulful connection between them. So um, as a viewer, I felt very, um, very calm and at ease in my heart, just felt happy about that. So uh, is it a cliche? Sort of, somewhat. Um, uh, like the rest of the for the most part of one spring night is that uh it it really just straddles that fine fine little middle ground between being uh playing into the clichés of a korean drama of this genre but also not being cringy so they do it very well up to the end and it's this is definitely a korean drama that i recommend definitely check it out um, if you ever want to watch something that is just quiet and, uh, like true to heart, it, it really is one of those Korean dramas that hold your heart in its hand. It's like, 
let let me just take care of you and you know everything will be okay so <laughs> um stay tuned after the jump we're gonna talk about a couple of other k-dramas before we move on We're back, and um, after that long sort of emotional talk I had about One Spring Day, we're back with talking about a couple of other Korean dramas that I am excited about. Um, first things first, I'm gonna talk about Vagabond. Did I pronounce that right? I don't, Vagabond, vag, Vagabond, <laughs> or I think in like a way the Korean accent is like Vagabond or something like that. Vagabond um, is this is just a Korean drama that just started. Um, it is the reunion project of Lee Seung Gi, um, who you might know from a Korean Odyssey, and Bae Suzy, who was in Dream High, Uncontrollably Fun, Uncontrollably Fond, uh, um, <laughs> who both headlined Goo Family Book back in 2013. Um, a little bit of a background info about this Korean drama. Um, a mysterious plane crash kills over 2,000 civilians, including Chad Dalgun, who is played by Lee Sung-gi's uh, Chad Dalgun's nephew. Determined to find out the truth behind the accident, Chad Dalgun embarks on an investigation that heads him to a tangled web of corruption. His life intertwines with Go Hae-ri, uh, played by Bae Suzy. Uh, a covert operative for the National Intelligence Service. So, um, yeah. when I looked up what the genre of this is, because Goo Family Book is a bit of a fantasy um, type of drama. Um, not really sci-fi, but more fantasy. Um, kind of very similar to a Korean Odyssey. Um, Lee Sung Yi's uh, other role before. Uh, Lee Seung-gi does a lot of these kind of like fantasy type of dramas. I can't remember the other... There's one more other drama that he was in that he kind of plays more of a fa- fantasy type of character. Like a outlandish... Not outlandish, but just like somebody with supernatural powers. Uh, can't remember the exact title right now. But this is this is a, uh, a little bit of a departure from his usual roles. Um... Because Goo Family Book, like I said, it's more of a fantasy. Um, Vagabond is more of a, uh, I feel like a suspense thriller genre of a Korean drama. Just because it involves like a mysterious plane crash. Maybe there is some fantasy elements to this. But I don't think it is going to be uh, as much as Goo Family Book or a Korean Odyssey. Um, I I love Lee Seung Gi, actually. Um recently uh <laughs> this thing happened that i me and my other sibling who also my brother who watches a lot of korean dramas uh recommended a korean odyssey to my sister my older sister and she binge watched it and then she kind of got a bit upset with me when i told her that i didn't finish a korean odyssey and um it's true i didn't finish a korean odyssey i enjoyed the first first half maybe um of this drama but i didn't end up finishing it (laughs) um 
so she was a bit upset about me about that but we're gonna move on from that story <laughs> um but i in general i love lee singy i didn't like stop watching uh and not finish a korean odyssey just be- not because of lee singy i love his acting he's an amazing actor um but more of the female lead like she wasn't very interesting to watch so i was just kind of like thrown off uh her acting the what what when is, what is the name of the actress? Anyway, she was very wooden in the way she acted. So I was just kind of like, after a while, a few episodes in, I was just like, mm, I don't want to watch this anymore. It's kind of boring me. But I loved Lee Seung Yi as an actor. Like I said, he is... Actually, I've known him even before he forayed into acting. Before he is more now well-known as an actor. I know him as a solo uh, soloist in K-pop. He has a very amazing voice. Um, and then, but nowadays, he's really mostly known for his acting um, roles. So he he does, like I said, most a lot of like fantasy type of roles. But I am interested in this drama just because I he it says on the character description that he's supposed to be like an aspiring actor slash stuntman. <laughs> so that in itself is already kind of funny. And Lee Seung is really good at playing both the drama and the comedy of a certain character. So um, I'm looking forward to that. Um, Susie, uh, from what I know, is she is also from K-pop, actually. She used to be uh, part of a group called Miss A. I still have their album from years ago. I loved their songs before they disbanded. Um but unfortunately, Susie was just too much of a star to be in a K-pop group. And that she eventually, that group disbanded and she ended up being more of an actress rather than a singer or a K-pop idol. So um, I haven't actually watched a lot of Susie's um, dramas. I mean, it just happened that way. It, that it's, it isn't in any in particular reason that I don't like her acting or anything. It's just... Um, for me, she kind of had that reputation of being just too much and too, too loved by the, the, the K-drama industry. Like, just, you know, um, I've always just had this idea that she, she's a passable actress, but not in any way that amazingly enough to get all of this recognition. But it may... I, I might change my mind once I watch Vagabond. Um, I mean, there must be a reason why everybody loves Susie. Um, I mean, it, it just the few things that I've seen her in, I've just has I haven't. I don't dislike her, but I'm not like a fan. Um, but she plays a covert uh, operative for the NIS, so um, I really hope that she pulls it off because she kind of has this look of very young. I mean, she's not that young anymore, but she looks kind of more of like somebody who would play like a high school student rather than a uh, operative, like a spy character. So I hope that um, actually she does really well. Um, so I'm hoping for that, for this drama. <laughs> um, there's what's the other one in this drama. Uh, Shin Sung Rook is also in this drama. He was the main villain in My Love from the Stars. He was recently, recently in The Last Empress. Um, I haven't watched The Last Empress. It wasn't really a genre that I, I use. Uh, 
I like Sagux. It's more of like a fusion drama that's like uh sort of historical in terms that there is an empress, uh there's a prince, princess, um, set in a modern setting. Um, it makes me think of like Princess Hours from way back early 2000s uh korean drama that it's like the royalty still uh present in korea but just transposed into the modern uh modern life so um the last empress is kind of like that from what i know of um i've heard a lot of good good stories about um good things about the last empress i have a sister-in-law who watches equally or even more um, korean dramas than me who really love the last empress so i mean it's it's just maybe not my cup of tea like it's just not one of those dramas that i'm like interested like in piqued my interest into watching and binge watching so um but i've heard a lot of good stories about it so um but i did watch my love from the stars and shin sung rook is one of those very solid actors like he um almost always plays like a villainous role just because of how how the his features are he has a very sharp feature that you know suits very well into like that menacing villain type of roles very expressive the way his face looks is just like you it's very believable that he is the villain he's the bad guy in the story and i think a lot of his film roles are similarly like that um but he um is one of the supporting um characters plays one of the sporting characters in this drama so that's something to look forward to it's it's always good when they're surround like the main female and male lead are surrounded by um, good solid supporting actors such as shin sung rook who um has played a lot of supporting roles he has also played quite a few lead roles as well including i think he was the, one of the leads in the last empress so he 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 knows he's a good he's a good supporting um supporting actor to be in this drama um so yeah that's that's a few of my thoughts about vagabond i i probably will start watching this in the next couple days maybe next week um it just depends on when i get to it um since i am gonna be sidetracked again rambling um <laughs> i am gonna be traveling to southeast asia next week so i'm kind of like just stockpiling a bunch of episodes of korean dramas that i want to watch um just to have something to watch in the long flight from the states going to southeast asia which takes like oh my god like 16 17 18 hours of my life so you know you need like at least a few dramas or a one good drama to um to get through that flight <laughs> um so um vagabond is definitely one of those like i i feel like i want to start it and then eventually just go through the episodes as um i am traveling um another one that piqued my interest lately is uh this drama called when the camellia blooms or in korean dongbek kot pilmuryup um this is uh oh if i think vagabond is also on netflix don't quote me on it i think it's on netflix um but when could the camellia blooms um is on netflix i think so yeah um so when Cam the camellia blooms stars uh kang hanyo who you might have known from Airs uh, with Lee Min Ho. He was also in Moon Lover Scarlet Heart Rio with 
Lee Jung-hee. Lee Jung-hee? Yeah. Um, and uh, IU. Yet again, this is a drama that... I've, Moon Lover Scarlet Part Rio is a drama that I've been want, meaning to watch, but I just never found like a place to watch it streaming off online. So if you know that, please, please, please message me. Like I said in a previous uh, podcast episode, I think I mentioned it a couple of times when I was talking about Hotel Del Luna. But if you know where to watch Moon Lover Scarlet Heart Rio, please help this this fellow K drama fan out and let me know where to watch it with subtitles, with English subtitles. Okay, um, <laughs> but Kang Hyun is was one of the supporting character uh, characters in that drama. Um, this might be his first lead role in a drama. Might be, I'm not too sure. Uh, but it, it might be. Um. This is definitely his first project, though, after finishing his military service. Um, Like I said, I usually have a roster of K-drama actors that are just dear to my heart and love to death. And Kang han is one of those. I love his acting. I love the way his visuals, like everything he is just even his normal like uh public persona he is just like i've i've seen a lot of interviews of kang hanyul um and he's he's a genuinely nice guy like very nice he's just a very nice dude um but he has finally finished his military service and all of his fans like myself are rejoicing because um he has this korean drama as his first project um, he stars in this drama. Um, the male female, sorry, the female lead is Gong Hyo Jin, who you might, I well, I know her from Pasta back in early two thousands. She was also in the Hong Sisters, The Greatest Love. Um, she stars as Dong Baek, the owner of a bar called Camellia, and a single mom whose life changes after she meets Yong Sik, a local policeman. So Kang Hanyul plays Yong Sik. Um, Kang Hanyul actually plays a lot of like policeman characters. I think because his face, his visuals, kind of lends itself to somebody who's very trustworthy, um, which actually would make him such an amazing actor to play like a psychopath because you instantaneously just want to trust him, and I think that's what's best about um actors who play psychopaths in Korean dramas or Korean films because you you don't expect it. You're you feel like you can trust him. And Kang Hanyul definitely has that face. Um I love, love, love Gong Hyo Jin. She is one of those actresses that are doesn't fit into mold of being like a gorgeous actress, goddess status like Song Hye Gyo. But she is definitely um beautiful in her own right. Very unique look. Um very amazing actress. She's been in the industry for a while. Uh, and I think she would really um, put a lot of like soul into um, this character who is a single mom. Um, much like what I said about um, Jung Hae-in's character in One Spring Night, um, single mom characters in Korean dramas are really unfortunate characters because they really are bogged down and shamed by society for the most part. And the more because here she's a single mom and uh, I think that's going to play a lot in how the drama is going to go about um, exploring her uh, relationship with um, Kang han character. So I think it's something to watch out for. Um, 
this I'm, I'm really not sure though whether this is going to go about kind of like one spring night that is more of a, a slice of life realistic type of korean drama or it's more of a uh, melodrama i'm not too sure yet but um like i said i i just have an interest in it and it might be one of those just korean dramas that i start off uh, while i'm traveling just you know it's a good it feels like it's a good drama to watch so um yeah i just wanted to talk about those two dramas um if you guys are interested definitely look look into them <laughs> and um yeah i'm gonna be back we're gonna be back with the k-pop section of this podcast we're gonna talk about a couple of songs that i've been loving so far after the break um yeah
right, so we're back. This is now the K-pop um, segment of um, Peachney and Pink Ramblings, the podcast. So, um, yeah, let's 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 get it. Let's get into it. <laughs> If you are listening here on Anchor, you would have heard a snippet of the song that I'm going to talk about. If not, as usual, you're going to hear a non-copyrighted song. Uh, but equally as engaging <laughs> but if like that's usually if you're on any other uh, podcasting listening platform um, but like I said if you were an anchor you would have heard this song um, I'm gonna talk about a song that literally just dropped like uh, a little bit more than an hour or two ago um, this song is called Bullet to the Heart by Jackson Wang. He uh Jackson is a member of GOT7 who I might have talked about previously. I don't think I've talked about any of their songs in particular, but they are a K-pop boy group that I am a huge fan of, super close to my heart. I just love these uh love these guys like um to the death. Um I was in their concert this year and it was amazing. Anyway, anyhow, Jackson uh, is a me- one of the members, one of the seven from GOT7. Um, he has steadily built a solo career in China and Hong Kong while he is still promoting as part of that K-pop boy group. Um, this is the fresh new single from his upcoming first album, um, Bullet to the Heart. Just dropped. It is I, I was floored when I I heard this. I literally started streaming this um, online right when it dropped because I, I was really curious and I really wanted to hear it firsthand. Um, Bullet to the heart. It is a very it's it's a painful it it's it's a song that has a painful anguish feel to it and a very distinctive R and B beat. Um, the thing with Jackson, um, he's not my bias in God Seven. He might be my bias broker. Um, a little bit of a quick explanation: bias in K-pop is the group member that you love the most, that you like the most. Bias broker is that member that kind of threatens that status of the bias and just occasionally makes you like doubt who you like the most. Uh, but in general, actually, most of the members in God Seven are like my bias and bias records. So, um, but you know, if I haven't mentioned it before, Park Jin Young is my bias in God Seven. Um, but I, I really, really like Jackson. Like maybe a little bit more than the other members, um, <laughs> um, aside from Jin Young. Um, Jackson just has. I always say that when I hear. Got um got seven songs, I can almost always know uh, Jin Young when he starts singing, but I always 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 know when it's Jackson. Like he has uh the type of voice that's just very husky, has a raw rough sound to it. That when you hear it, you know that it's Jackson. It's like it's no doubt that you know that that's that's Jackson singing singing that section in the song and um his singles his solo song so far has been very quite a departure from the usual stylings of god seven which is which is good um it shows how much he 
uh, he grows and as an artist. Um, I think the last song from Jackson that I really love was Papillon, which has more of like a a rap hip hop vibes with a I I I I I you got me feeling like a Papillon like that section is very like uh excuse me my horrible singing <laughs> um but it it's more of a very like fast rap like very hip-hop vibe and compared to that bullet to the heart is very r&b a little bit of a, a little bit yeah it's more of an r&b type of beat with a little bit kind of power ballad a little bit um i think what what i loved about it hearing it and i think I'm actually going to play it uh, and listen to it a couple more times just to get a better feeling of it. Um, is that Bullet to the Heart is uh, very introspective. The lyrics itself, I feel like, um, talks about a relationship, like his re- uh, a relationship between a man and a woman. Um, but also... Uh, you get a feeling that this is a lot of this is also introspective in terms of Jackson's style as an artist, as a musician, as a musician and an act, uh, and as a singer. Um, it's very reflective of his latest struggles as an artist. Like he was in a controversy because of what was going on in Hong Kong, and he was showing his support for China. Uh, he. Jackson is Chinese from Hong Kong. So uh, there was a lot of controversy there recently. So and there's he he's just been through a lot this year. And I feel like Bullet to the Heart is just not a song that talks about a woman breaking his art, uh, breaking his heart, like literally a bullet to his heart. But also I feel like Bullet to the Heart talks about like um, the pressures of being in a successful um k-pop boy group like that being a bullet to his heart his heart being like his heart as like a musician and as an artist um not saying that it's in any way uh destructive i'm the thing i love about jackson is that even though he has a, a solo career he's always said that god seven is it's like seven or nothing like he's always going to be part of god seven that his solo career is not going to mean that he's going to be uh leaving the group at any point um he's never shown that uh inkling at all so but i feel like he has always struggled proving himself as a solo artist um because his solo work just has like such a different sound to it um it's a lot more introspective a lot reflective of his his life uh and a lot more serious compared to what you mostly think of jackson as he he comes off as a mostly like cheerful person but his songs are a lot more melancholic and a lot uh, there's a lot of sadness and anguish to it so um bullet to the heart a very enjoyable song i i I listened to it a couple of times even before I started recording for this podcast. Uh, fresh off the press, it just came out. So um, if you are a fan of K-pop uh, in general that has more of a, a, a chill R&B 
slower vibe to it and it's not a dance song then bullet to the heart is definitely one of those songs that you would enjoy um similarly the next song that i'm gonna talk about you'll hear a snippet of it um in the end of this section if you're listening to this on anchor if not it's gonna be a different song um unfortunately due to copyright reasons <laughs> but um similarly to bullet to the heart um the other song that i want to talk about is um a song for by fd island called quit so fd island is one of the representative groups from fnc entertainment i think i talked about and flying before uh in a previous podcast episode fd island is their sonbe so uh they are a more senior group they're pretty much the group that establish fnc entertainment as a bigger entertainment group agency in korea uh and because they are a band who plays actual instruments um fnc became known as the agency that ho that houses um bands like k-pop bands so uh i think fd island was one of the very first ones in the early like 2000 like mid 2000s that got known for um within the k-pop industry as um a band and they kind of created that trend of um bands that do rock pop all that stuff and it's not like the typical boy group um quit is i believe the title song uh from their latest studio album um they are now a four-person band recently there was some controversies that um one of the members uh had to leave but they've been active since 2007 so they've been in the industry for more than 10 years uh very well established sunbe uh group in k-pop i mean honestly lovesick is still like it's one of the songs from their earlier albums and lovesick is still a classic to me i still love that song even though it's such it's such a ridiculously sad song like i mean when you hear you you read the lyrics it's like it's incredibly sad but um the main thing about uh the song quit is that um it just reminds you how undeniably uh lee honky is one of the best best vocalists in k-pop he has uh the voice that it's just so dripping and laden with emotions when he sings that um you if i mean most of fd island songs are sad sad songs about heartbreak about loneliness about other sad things in life but they are just so amazing to listen to because hongi is such a great like he just has like the power vocals um like this song uh quit is his last uh studio song i believe before he's enlisting um in the end of this year um for his mandatory military um service um quit is very powerful very emotional i know from what i know about fd island that honky had issues with his vocal cords uh a few years back that made him kind of um 
dial back a little bit on his vocals, uh, which is unfortunate since he has such an amazing voice. Uh, but compared to when they just debuted it in their first few albums, um, his voice has changed in a way that not that his it's gone that it's for worse at all, but just it's just more uh restrained than compared to if you listen to Lovesick and you compare listen to Quit at the same time like next to each other, you'll notice that there's still a lot of there's it's it's very powerful uh honky's vocals but also he's a lot more controlled and a lot more restrained mainly because um because of all the strain it the, gives his vocal cords so he's not, he's much more careful now um i actually know honky before uh i know him as a musician and part of fd island um, he was one of the supporting characters in this Korean drama called um, You're Beautiful. And it's about a K-pop group um, way back in the day. And um, he is actually also in a Korean Odyssey, um, the Korean drama I mentioned earlier. Uh, very, very cute role. Very funny role there. Um, anyways, he is known for his... well. In general, FD Island is very well known for their power rock ballads. And it's, I'm pretty sure they've, their music has been in a lot of soundtracks. But when you think of FD Island and their songs, you think of K dramas. You think about uh, soundtracks for Korean dramas, uh, whether it is like a melodrama, a romantic drama, or it is like a suspense thriller, whatever genre. It, FD Island is like that type of group that's just like it's meant to be a soundtrack just because of their ballads, the way they sing, the, the, the way they sing, the emotions and everything. Um, and Quit is definitely one of those. There's a section where uh, Honky just belts out this part that's just like, Quando? And it's like, I don't give it justice at all. You need to listen to the song. Um, definitely look it up because you. It's like a mic drop. You're just like, oh my god, the 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 power in the way he delivers that single word, actually that whole section. You're just like, how can somebody sing with this much feeling in his voice? Um, so quit is definitely one of those songs that you need to listen to. I uh, I am actually so it's so unfortunate. I've never actually seen uh gone to a fd island concert um back when they did have a tour here in the states i kind of was on a break from k-pop and korean dramas so i didn't see them live um but i mean i love all the bands nowadays that you know i'm following like day six who i'm gonna see this uh sunday live here in, in the states um the Rose, who I saw uh, a week back, um, F, um, and Flying. I love all of those newer kind of bands, but FD Island is like the grandpa, the grandfather of all these bands. Like they're along with C and Blue, uh, but I'm more of a bigger fan of FD Island. They they pretty much started the the whole trend of uh, a Korean band making it in the K-pop industry. I mean, they they still have a long way to go. They're getting the K-pop bands are rec getting recognized more and more. But um, it was because of FD Island that they got that foothold into the industry. Um, so definitely check that out. It's gonna uh, I'm gonna 
it's gonna play like a short snippet of it after this section um uh so yeah definitely i will be back talking about a couple things in my k-beauty section um talk to you then <laughs> It's silent now, we don't say a word We're just looking at each other Tears in our eyes from the words we said Yeah, it kinda broke my heart Loving you is not so goddamn easy as you think I'm trying my best to hold on but I feel myself giving You know that we shouldn't keep it up like this We hurt each other's feelings on and on This is the K-Beauty section of this podcast. Hopefully you guys enjoyed my little spiel on those two songs and the K-pop section. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to the music so far. Uh, 
god i'm getting sick which is horrible because i'm going traveling soon so anywho <laughs> uh okay beauty stuff i'm gonna talk about two things two products um first of all i wanted to talk about tony moly's petite bunny gloss bar i have it in shade number two i think i also have it in shade three and four or three and five anyway it comes in like seven different shades um number two is a bright candy pink purplish shade um i love it I love I love most of Tony Moly stuff because they're all so cute. And this one's packaging is just adorable. Like heck. It's more of like a crayon, like a lip product that is more of a lip crayon. But uh the cover of it is like a little cute tiny cartoony bunny, but not too cartoony that you're gonna be embarrassed as a grown woman to carry around in your purse <laughs> um but this one is more of a pink with a hint of lavender tint to it very hydrating it leaves um this light um i wouldn't say it is um transparent because it's not it's not just a gloss but it's it's a light translucent tint over the lips it leaves whatever your lip your natural lip color is it just kind of accentuates it and kind of leaves a bit of a pink purplish tint on top of it um which to me i recently i haven't really been into a lot of like that bright purples just because it doesn't go very well on my skin tone uh, but this one is not that bad just because it's it's more um more sheer rather than glossy i feel like it um recently too um i've been more into like velvety like matte type of lip products and this one's definitely leaning more towards like a a gloss rather than a matte um, but it's very sheer. It's lightweight on the lips. Uh, it does kind of feel a little bit tiny, tiny bit oily on the lips. But mostly because it's it's a more glossy type of a product rather than matte. So it doesn't feel dry. Um, but in that way, it's very hydrating. I kind of like it because it gives my lips a break from all the matte lipsticks that I've been using recently. Um, so it's a good kind of like in between it's good for days that you don't want to wear something heavy on your lips um it doesn't really settle into like the 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 crevices like the lines on my lips so it, it looks very natural and just like as if it's a, it's your natural uh lip color that's what i love about it um like i said i really love tony moly's like cute stuff they have this like hand lotion that's um the packaging that it's in it's in the shape of a banana <laughs> which i just like so so super cute oh my god just imagine you know like you're in like a meeting or something and you wanted to moisturize your hands and you whip out like a a lotion um squeeze bottle that's a banana <laughs> it just amuses me to no end and they have other like um they have this uh solid perfume too i believe it is totally bully um that i have that it smells so wonderful like a soft powdery like fresh linen smell uh the the packaging too is a bunny and it's adorable it's like a solid perfume but 
you just it just feels happy when you're you're putting it on yourself so that's what i appreciate about tony moly's um stuff because they're really good amazing korean products korean beauty products um i haven't tried much of their skincare line i've tried a, a much more of their uh makeup beauty line um they have also this one that's like shaped like a shaped like a tomato there's one shaped like a peach there's one that's shaped like a panda uh they're uh they have a really good product i don't remember the exact name but um it's for uh blackheads so it's like a this cream that you put on your nose to get uh peel it off um to take off blackheads um and it's shaped like an octopus like a black octopus <laughs> it's it's adorable like when you think of tony moly you just always think of that oh it's an adorable cutesy type of product um but not to a point it's more like quirky and more pop pop art ish rather than it being like a girly cutesy type of packaging like etude house or that type of uh that that brand it's not like that tony moly is like uh if you're artistic hipster um it's very quirky and just kind of like pop art um when i think about their stuff i think of andy warhol's like um the campbell soup can it's kind of like that bright colors in your face like iconic um like shapes iconic like you know fruit animal or whatever um and i think they're 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 well known for that i have a few like i said of these petite bunny gloss bars which i am uh, i love recently uh actually this one that i uh got number two i got for free uh, because i whole did a whole haul and did a whole bought a whole bunch of products um recently so it, it was like a freebie um that might be because I I think normally I wouldn't have picked like a pink purplish shade for myself. I probably would have picked more picked more of like a rose red, a mauve or like a like a really true red. Uh but this pink purple is not so bad. It's it's actually not so opaque, uh not too heavy that it it would look like ghastly pale um because of the purple tint. Uh, so I definitely recommend it if you're looking for a lip crayon that's more towards hydrating rather than drying. Tony Moly's uh, Petite Bunny Gloss Bars are definitely the way to go. Um, the second other K-Beauty product that I want to talk about is, uh, surprise, surprise, <laughs> from Innisfree. You guys all know I love Innisfree. I love the whole brand. I have way too much products that I use from Innisfree, starting from skincare to makeup everything but um yeah this one this one was well <laughs> it is free the pour blur powder uh i believe i talked about their uh the pore blur pack like the press powder before uh which i love i loved i used it when i was traveling a few uh weeks ago and it was very good it had like a nice peach tint to it that covers uh kind of neutralizes redness and like discolorations in your face um the pore blur powder it is a loose powder it i feel like it's the more chic 
the more chic air uh iteration of their no sebum blur powder that comes in that like plastic container that's like like a mint green container um this one is black and white and it's a bit of like a um matte feeling when you hold to it and a little bit more substantial feel to it even the structure of it inside like where, where how the puff and the powder comes out um just to explain a little bit um the no sebum blur powder it's like very it's like not that expensive it's like less than eight dollars i think here in the states and probably a lot cheaper in korea um but it's just like a bit your basic plastic with like uh you know a puff a little tiny puff it's there's no frills to it it's it does its job really well um uh, this one is kind of more a little bit fancier because it has like a little like separation between the loose powder and a little like very sheer net ish thing in there that dispenses the powder uh a lot less messier um the the packaging is better than the no sebum blur powder um i think they also call that one the matte the matte mineral powder anyway uh I've been using it in the past couple of days. It doesn't last as well. Um, these, this one is, as with the other um, blur products, is a setting powder, really, if you think about it. Um, I use this on top of the of my foundation, which recently has been um, Innisfree Velvet Cover Foundation in N32. Um, and... That one's already a mattifying type of foundation. And I usually use the no sebum blur uh the no sebum powder, mineral powder or something, the green one, um, as a setting powder before I spray on setting spray because I have really oily skin and I just like it to stay throughout uh, my work my work shift. So um this one doesn't last as long. Um it's definitely lighter. Um, I feel like uh, the powder appears to be a little bit more fine compared to the other setting powders that they have. Um, it doesn't settle into my uh, the lines. Uh, it, so in that case, it does blur your fine lines and stuff. I mean, I'm not uh, like super young that I don't have any wrinkles. I do have a little bit and uh, this doesn't settle on it. It never looks like it's accentuating your wrinkles or anything. Um I make it sound like I'm like just this old person, but I, I'm really not that old. I think of myself as quite young. Um, <laughs> but it the, the main downside to it, and you guys know I love industry products, but occasionally there is an industry product that would just disappoint me. And I feel like this one, I love the way it looks because it looks very chic and very grown up. Um, but it just doesn't last very well even with i i put it on after um for one thing the the puff is way too fluffy that it picks up um the foundation so even right then you're like some of your foundation is gonna come off um and then but it doesn't pick up the powder as well enough that it will just deposit it on your face um i tried using a a brush and it seemed to kind of do it a little bit better but it takes a lot longer um and i think it feel i feel like it uses more product with the brush 
Um, but even then, it just didn't last as well as I was expecting it to. So in that sense, I was a bit disappointed. I really wanted to love this as much as I wanted, as much as I love the the poor blur pack. I think that one is just a little bit better because it comes with a sponge and you can just like sponge it on your face and that kind of helps it like stick better to your foundation and like, uh, what you call it, like settle your foundation and just seal it a little bit better. Um. I really didn't have that much of a problem with the, the green version, the no sebum powder, matte mineral uh, fat powder. Um, but just it comes with such a little like pot that it's kind of hard to use with a brush. Um, I don't know. I think just because this one's the powder is a lot more loose that it just doesn't stay on my face as well as I would expect it compared to the per. Also, this is just translucent powder. It's white. Um, the pore blur um pack it it's a like I said a little bit more peach tone so um it has a bit of a color to it um unfortunately when I did go to Innisfree recently to buy another of the pore blur pack um I just want I haven't finished the one that I had but I just wanted to have another one to use um just in case um. I mean, they ran out of the blur, the poor blur packed one. So I was like, well, I'll just try to powder the loose powder and see how it goes. Um, it's also a little bit more expensive than the green version. This one's, I think, was like $16 compared to the, the green version that's like less than $10. A little bit more pricier, probably because the packaging is a lot more chic and a lot more um, prettier, a lot more grown-up-y. So um, I was overall for the performance and the price i was a bit disappointed so don't hate me industry i still love you you're still like my favorite korean beauty brand but uh this this was a letdown so um yeah <laughs> um that's gonna be it for the k beauty section Hey, you've reached the end, and this is the end of episode 6 of Peach Neon Pink Ramblings, the podcast where I talk about Korean dramas, K-pop, and K-beauty. Thank you so much, you guys, for listening to me ramble about things and just stuff in general. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Um... I might not have a podcast episode next week. Like I said um, in this episode, I am going to be traveling to Southeast Asia, uh, which is going to be amazing. It's going to be fun, but I'm probably going to be off for a couple of weeks just uh, traveling. So there might not be a new podcast episode because I'll be busy exploring the beautiful uh, countries in Southeast Asia and getting much much needed rest from work so um i'm probably not gonna record any podcast episodes so i'm gonna be probably back in about two weeks so um i will definitely um 
talk to you guys again soon until then <laughs> uh, but in the meantime definitely um, let me know what you want me to talk about in future podcast episodes you guys know the drill it's at https forward slash anchor.fm forward slash peach neon pink neon has two ends forward slash message so you guys can uh, message me there let me know what you want me to talk about there's a particular career job you want me to check out if you have any comments like if you want to tell me hey uh miss manderly your voice is awful or your singing voice just broke my eardrums but be nice please i mean you guys can message me about that i guess but um I would appreciate nice messages like that would be cool or if you would like follow and tweet me at peach neon pink like I said neon has two ends on Twitter um, I I post a lot about like my k-drama k-pop k-beauty adventures on that newer Twitter account um and again thank you again so much for tuning into this podcast this has been episode six of peachy and pink ramblings the podcast for korean dramas k-pop and k-beauty ramblings um until then uh i love you guys all my listeners (laughs) but yeah i'm out